Good evening, my darlings. Welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for another Dreadtime story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is The Vampire by Jan Neruda. The excursion steamer had brought us from Constantinople to the shore of the island Prinikopo, and we disembarked. There were not many in the party. A Polish family, father, mother, daughter, and the daughter's husband. Then we two. Oh, and I must not forget to mention that we had been joined on the wooden bridge leading across the Golden Horn in Constantinople by a Greek, quite a young man, a painter perhaps, to judge by the portfolio which he carried under his arm. Long black tresses flowed over his shoulder. His face was pale, his dark eyes deeply sunken in their sockets. At first he interested me, especially because of his readiness to oblige and his familiarity with the local affairs. But he had a good deal too much to say, and I soon turned away from him. I found the Polish family all the more pleasant. The father and mother were worthy, kindly folk. The husband, an elegant young man of unassuming and polished manners. They were traveling to Prinikopo with the object of spending the summer months there for the sake of the daughter who was slightly ailing. From the pallor of the beautiful girl, it appeared either that she was just recovering from a severe illness or that she was about to be attacked by one. She leaned upon her husband, showed a fondness for sitting down, and a frequent dry cough interrupted her whispering. Whenever she coughed, her escort stood still in concern. He kept looking at her pityingly, and she at him as much to say, There's nothing really the matter. How happy I am! They were clearly convinced of recovery and happiness. On the recommendations of the Greek, who had left us immediately by the landing stage, the family had hired a lodging at the inn which stands on the hill. The innkeeper was a Frenchman, and his whole house, in accordance with French style, was arranged comfortably and neatly. We lunched together, and when the heat of the noon had abated a little, we all made our way up the hill to a pine grove where we could refresh ourselves with the view. Scarcely had we discovered a suitable spot and had settled down than the Greek once more made his appearance. He greeted us in an offhand way, looked around him, and sat down only a few paces from us. He opened his portfolio and began to draw. I believe he has purposely sat close against the rock so that we can't look at his drawing, I said. We need not look, observed the young Pole. We can see quite enough in front of us. And after a while, he added, It seems to me that he is including us in the foreground of his drawing. Let him. Truly, there was enough for us to see. There is no fairer and happier nook in the world than this Prinikopo. The political female martyr Irene, a contemporary of Charlemagne, spent a month here, in banishment, if I could pass a single month of my life there, the memory of it would make me happy for all the remainder of my days. Even the single day I spent there, I shall never forget. 
The air was as clear as a diamond, so soft, so delightful, that it all lapped at one's soul from afar. And on the right, beyond the sea, towered the brown summits of Asia. On the left, the islands that formed the archipelago of the prince rose up with its cypress woods into the silent height like a mournful dream, crowned with a large building. This is a refuge in the form of the infirm of spirit. The waters of the Sea of Memora were slightly ruffled and played in all colors like a sparkling opal. In the distance was the ocean, white as milk, then rose-tinted, then between two islands like a glowing orange, and beneath us as beautiful greenish-blue like a transparent sapphire. It was alone in its beauty. No large vessels were seen. Only two small craft with English flags were slipping along hard by the shore. One was a steamboat the size of a watchman's booth. The other was manned by about twelve rollers. And when all the oars were lifted at the same time, it was as if molten silver were trickling from them. Artless dolphins were moving in their midst, and a few in long curves above the surface of the water. From time to time, across the blue sky, peaceful eagles soared, measuring out a boundary between two portions of the world. The whole slope beneath us was hidden by blooming roses, whose fragrance the air was saturated with. From the cafe near the sea, music, muffled by the distance, vibrated through the stainless air. The impression was overwhelming. We all grew silent and sated our whole being with the prospect which savored this paradise. The young Polish lady was lying on the turf with her head resting on her husband's lap. The pale oval of her delicate face gained a slight color, and tears suddenly began to flow from her blue eyes. Her husband understood. He bent forward and kissed tear upon tear. Her mother also began to shed tears and I myself was strangely moved. Mind and body must, must be healed here, whispered the girl. What a happy place! God knows I have no enemies, but if I had, here I would forgive them, declared the father with a trembling voice. And again all were silent. A feeling of beauty of inexpressible sweetness came upon all. Each one felt within him a whole world of happiness, and each one would have shared his happiness with the whole world. Each one felt the same, and no one jarred upon the other. We did not even notice that the Greek, after some hour or so, had arisen, closed his portfolio, and after greeting us again, had gently departed. We remained. Finally, after some hours, when the distance was hiding itself in a dusty violet blue, which in the south is so magically lovely, the mother urged us to make our way back. We arose and strolled down to the inn, our steps as free and elastic as those of children without a care in the world. Scarcely had we sat down than we heard quarreling and abuse under the veranda. Our Greek was quarreling there with the innkeeper, and we listened for our amusement. 
The quarrel did not last long. If I had no other guests here, growled the innkeeper, and came up the steps toward us. Would you kindly tell me, sir, asked the young Pole of the innkeeper as he came along, who is the gentleman and what is his name? Oh, who knows what the fellow's name is, growled the innkeeper, giving a vicious glance downwards. We call him the Vampire. A painter? A fine trade. He only paints corpses. If anybody in Constantinople or around about here dies, he always has a portrait of the corpse ready on the same day. The fellow paints in advance. He never makes a mistake. The vulture. The old Polish lady gave a cry of horror. In her arms lay the daughter, swooning, white as a sheet. And at the same instant, the husband leapt down the small flight of steps, seized the Greek by the throat with one hand, and with the other clutched at the portfolio. We quickly ran down after him. The two men were already scuffling in the sand. The portfolio was flung down, and on one leaf, sketched in pencil, was the head of the young Polish girl, her eyes closed, a sprig of myrtle around her brow. The end. Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts or send me an email at Marley's Ghosts Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, visit my Patreon, where we have lots of tiers to choose from, each with their own special treats. Also, rate and review so our community of Dreadtime listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings. Sleep well.